Helena, you have the floor. So as Dave told you, my name's Helena and I'm not a teacher here. And this isn't a Dharma talk. I'm not even a nun. My hair just looks like this because my husband has male pattern baldness and uses clippers to shave off what little hair he has left. And now I use them too because of the contagion. I'm not a real nun, I just play one on Zoom. So don't expect any answers tonight. In fact, you're gonna have to help me out because I'll be reading something from Dogen. I tried reading the Shobo Genzo, uh, Master Dogen's masterwork years ago, but I couldn't understand any of it. Then I tried copying it by hand into a marble composition book. I did this for about half an hour every day for a couple of months. I thought that reading it in my own handwriting would trick me into thinking that I had written it and then I would magically understand it. So I really wanted to talk to you today about all the fun I've been having working in the garden at Angel City, but I was given written guidelines for this talk that very clearly stated that I shouldn't babble on about myself. So I will be reading a selection from the Mujo Seppo or the Insentient Preach the Dharma or Talking to the Trees About Reality, which is how Brad Warner titles it in his translation that is in It Came From Beyond Zen. It starts out with a koan and then Dogen gives his commentary. One time, a master called Nanyo Ichu was asked by a monk, can the insentient really understand and explain the Dharma? Ichu said, they explain it all the time. The monk said, then how come I can't hear it? Ichu said, just because you don't hear it doesn't mean nobody can. The monk asked, what kind of person hears it? Ichu said, the great saints can. The monk said, do you hear it? Ichu said, nope, I don't hear it. The monk said, if you don't hear it, how do you know they explain it? Ichu said, it's a good thing I don't hear it. If I did, I'd be a great saint and you wouldn't be able to hear me explain the Dharma. The monk asked, does that mean living beings like people can't understand it? Ichu said, I explained it to people, not saints. The monk asked, what are people like after they hear it? Ichu said, when that happens, they're not living beings. So this is the commentary. When you're just starting out doing Zazen, or you've been doing it for ages, I'm sorry, whether you're just starting out doing Zazen, or you've been doing it for ages, you can learn a lot from this dialogue. Ichu says the insentient explain the Dharma all the time. All the time means they actually explain it at every real moment. There's no break in their explanation. Real explanations always happen without any break. We ought to look into how they explain the Dharma. The insentient don't necessarily explain it in the same way the sentient do. If you think the insentient would have to explain it the same way as the sentient, you're not giving the insentient the credit they deserve. That's not Buddhism. The insentient don't necessarily explain with sounds the way we do. I think it's good to ask what we mean by sentient and insentient. In order to do so, we need to look at how the insentient explain the Dharma. 
Some doofuses think that the rustling of the leaves in the trees or the opening of flowers is how the insentient explain the Dharma. That's because they don't get what Buddhism is about. I mean, if that were so, everybody would be hearing the Dharma all the time. Let's just think for a minute about this rustling leaves stuff and whatnot explaining the Dharma. In the world of the insentient, do they think about things in terms of trees and leaves and forests? By that, I'm asking if the views and ideas of the world of sentient things like us somehow breaks into the world of what we call the insentient. I don't think they do. On the other hand, to think of grass or trees or rocks and pebbles as insentient doesn't really get at it either. Nor does seeing insentience as synonymous with grass and trees and rocks and pebbles. When seen by human eyes, we might be able to discuss grass and trees and other such stuff as insentient, but really, they're beyond any such designations. By that, I mean you can't possibly conceive of what they really are. No one can. Okay, I'm interested in hearing what you guys think about this, but first, I'd like to give you a report about what's been happening in the garden. I've been fortunate enough to be able to go to Angel City two or three times a week in the morning. It's like a mini retreat. About 15 of us sit regularly in the outdoor zendo for an hour, although most of us are potted plants. And then Dave gives a short Dharma talk that goes something like this. Enjoy your day. And then I do Samu or work practice in the garden. The first thing I notice working in the garden is that it existed. Dave and some other people put a lot of work into the garden and I didn't even pay any attention to it. But now that I am meditating and working in it, I enjoy it and that has made me feel grateful. The garden is delightful. So thanks for the garden. See how that works? Spiritual people are always talking about gratitude, but I don't think you can be grateful unless you're enjoying yourself somehow. So when Dave says, enjoy your day, I think he's on to something. But it isn't just the garden I was noticing. Suddenly, I was paying attention to all the great plants we have here on the planet. I notice plants all the time now. They're everywhere. It's crazy. I started Googling around, and people are calling this phenomenon of not noticing plants plant blindness. You should look it up. It might not be in the DSM-4, but I feel like I had this condition, and now I'm on the road to recovery. Caring for the plants also changed the way I felt about them. I started to feel responsible for them and to even love them. Dogen talks about something called parental mind in another essay, and I would like to share it with you one day if I get asked back after this nightmare of a talk. Thinking about love and responsibility reminded me of something from The Little Prince by Saint-Exupéry, which is a story about a boy who was having romantic problems with his flower. Men have forgotten this truth, but you must not forget it. You become responsible forever for what you have tamed. You are responsible for your rose. Then really crazy things started happening. I started thinking that the plants had personalities and were trying to communicate with me. I even thought that some of them didn't like me and I wondered if they had minds like mine. You know, I never really wanted to consider this before because, well, I've got to eat something. 
I'm already a vegetarian because of guilt about eating animals. And if I can't eat plants, what's left? So I got back on Google and looked up breatharians. I don't want to judge anyone else's spiritual practice, but in my professional opinion, air is not an adequate diet. After that, I fell into a Google hole. In it were scientists explaining how plants communicate with each other and a crazy old movie from the 70s called The Secret Life of Plants, where they traumatize houseplants by boiling sea monkeys and making coleslaw right in front of them. There was also a picture of L. Ron Hubbard in the Google hole, holding an e-meter on a tomato. I think that Dogen is right. We can't really know what's going on with these insentients. Human beings will anthropomorphize anything, animals, plants, rocks, the Chrysler building, God, who evidently is very jealous and has a hair trigger temper. I even anthropomorphize myself I'm always ascribing all kinds of motivations to myself that are probably nonsense. Anyway, another crazy thing that happened in the garden was I was getting high. Did you know you can get high off plants? I was smelling the guava tree and the rosemary and at times feeling ecstatic. I think this might be what Dogen is getting at when he's talking about the doofuses and the rustling of the leaves. He might be making fun of hippies that get off on nature. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but it isn't necessarily Zen. There were other times, however, when I think I understood Dogen better. That was when I was meditating with the plants. Dave might be a genius because he puts the human meditators right next to the plant meditators. I didn't feel that different from them or even the blue cinderblock wall in front of me. Plants are actually great meditation teachers. They really know how to stay put, even in the face of danger. Their nervous systems aren't designed for the fight or flight response. Nisha Jima, who is Brad's teacher, explains in a YouTube video that body and mind will drop away one of Dogen's favorite phrases when you learn to balance your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems through Zazen. This take on Zazen seemed kind of disappointing to me at first because it isn't psychedelic or mystical or weird. But after I thought about it, that's exactly what I've been trying to do all my life by taking drugs. So I'm gonna frame my meditation around that for a while, just to give it a try. I'm trying to be more open to Zen teachers lately. One day in the garden, I realized that I was meditating under a tree, just like the Buddha when he became enlightened. When I first started becoming interested in Buddhism, I thought a lot about the Bodhi tree. It seemed very important. Maybe it was that tree that preached the Dharma to the Buddha. Trees are very smart, you know. An apple tree taught Isaac Newton the law of gravity. I think I'm starting to understand the appeal of Druidism. So I was going to end things there, but I looked over these notes and noticed that I had tried to create however haphazardly a narrative where I'm the protagonist. In the story, I have these Zen-powered realizations, a setback or two, and then the path forward is a little clearer. Making up a story like that is something I do reflexively, just like the anthropomorphizing, but I could have created other narratives about the garden. One might be about a bunch of molecules dancing around, but that one's a bit of a yawn fest. 
Another might be about how the plants in the garden are seducing me into taking care of them so they can reproduce more efficiently. An even weirder story might be about an idea that infects people's minds and manipulates them into lovingly preserving it down through the centuries. Yet another story might be about a feeble-minded woman facing the horrors of old age and death who gets tricked into paying to do yard work by a somewhat boring cult. Well, that last story might have to come to an end because I just found out that I can't go back to Angel City because of the contagion. I just wanted to show Dave that I bought you these nice chocolates from Costco for Christmas, but I'm not gonna give them to you now. So I'm gonna eat them myself. Thank you. Before I started doing Zen, I used to talk to toilets. I remember being like, like it would just like talk to me. And I was like, that's, I didn't know anything about Zen religion really much. And I was just like, God's in the toilet. I'm talking to God in the toilet and that's fine. And I was like, you know, that's kind of silly. I think I'm a little bit crazy. I should probably stop talking to animal objects because I think that's kind of stupid. And people are going to think I'm nuts. And so I stopped talking to toilets or listening to them talk to me. And I did Zen and Zen like a, a rational version of the, of the world being special, you know, whatever that is. Zen was a rational way. And then years later, I come across Dogen saying in sentient beings preach Dharma, like, oh yeah, like the toilet used to talk to me. <laughs> and I couldn't decide if I was just being silly back then or if this was what Dogen was talking about. Was that toilet talking to me, um, what Dogen was talking about, or is that just me being a little bit nuts? Well, I'm going to go with you were being a little nuts. It's, <laughs> you know, I think we uh, project all the time. You know, and I think you were really talking to your, you know, you were talking to the toilet or the toilet was talking to you. It was just a conversation you were having with yourself, really. But those can be valuable conversations. I think uh, the incentive can talk to you, but I, I don't think that it would be in like, a, you know, it's, it's going to be in words. Mm. That is what Dogen said. Hi, thanks for the talk. I also put a lot of emotions into the plants I grow. I like to grow like really spicy pets, but not for eating, more like an art project, like ghost peppers and stuff. They look real nice when they get red, and then you just kind of look at them for a while. But this year, they wouldn't grow very well. Like the leaves were real small, and it was like I convinced myself they were being spiteful, like they're not growing well just because they knew I wasn't going to enjoy the fruits of their labor or something. So I was getting mad at him and I was like, just staring at him one day. I was being spiteful. And then I kind of realized they're probably just doing the best they can in the crappy pot I gave them. So, uh, you know, give them a break. Your story made me think of that story. Thank you. Thank you. So if, if you walk down the block, there's been like a big LADWP project going on where I don't know what they're doing. They're replacing things and it's, they've torn up the sidewalks and streets are blocked off and whatever. But I walk my dog down there and I have walked past this emergency eyewash station. And it's like one of these things where you're like, whoa, an emergency eyewash station. Like, holy cow, that looks horrible. And it was just funny to me because I was walking past it and like every time I walked past it, I'm like, Oh God, the emergency eyewash station. And then yesterday I exploded a Tide pod in my eye mm. and immediately needed 
an emergency eye wash station. I came into the kitchen, I washed my eyes there, I called poison control, I continued to wash my eyes. I later went to urgent care, they gave me like a real full emergency eye wash station treatment, which is horrible and I do not recommend it, but also like deeply, deeply hilarious. So it's been an interesting 24 hours. But anyway, my question to you is, do you think that the emergency eye wash station that the LADWP had set up for their workers was trying to tell me something? Wow. First of all, how are your eyes now? They're okay. I, as it turns out, this is a fairly common injury that both doctors I've seen now have told me. And I have like a chemical burn on my eye, but it will heal soon. And it's mostly just painful and embarrassing. Well, I would like to say the rational part of me that that kind of thing is nonsense that you experienced, but I don't know. I've had weird stuff happen. Maybe just, you know, since I've started practicing Zen, you know, just stupid stuff. Like one day I decided not to throw a pair of disposable scissors out. And then I walked out of the building and I saw a guy like frantically trying to open up a bag and I just like handed him the scissors. (laughs) So, you know, I don't know. What can I say? Maybe that eyewash station was really important somehow in this stream of things that you saw that. I forget things pretty easily. And I really genuinely hadn't seen an emergency eyewash station in so long or noticed one that I actually do think it helped me be like, holy shit, you need the emergency eyewash station. And the doctor today said, you're really lucky that you started doing this immediately because otherwise you could have been in real trouble. So... It was a brilliant talk. I really liked the Dogen part, and I really liked the topic. Excellent. I talk to animals all the time, and I talk to plants. I was interested that you had a plant that you thought hated you. It made me start feeling a little paranoid about some of the ones I neglect a bit. (laughs) Maybe I haven't been listening, so I want to be a little more careful when I'm around them now. I have inanimate objects jumping out in front of me all the time, and a lot of times it's to warn me about something. At least that's how I feel about it. But the other thing I, I've noticed or made me think about in your talk is that I don't talk to all insentient beings. And I wonder if I'm a bigot of something. <laughs> I mean, I'll talk to, to big rocks, you know, those big, huge rocks. And, you know, they seem like maybe they they are alive somehow, but you know, you don't really talk to small rocks a lot. You know, it's funny you said that because I was gonna, I was gonna talk about discrimination because that's one of the things that you do when you're tending a garden. You have to think, oh, this is a weed, and I don't want this. And Dave and I fight about the four o'clocks because he likes these plants, and I'm always like, no, these plants are actually kind of sinister, and you should get them out of here. <laughs> And, and, you know, I guess maybe he's trying to be all Zen mastery or whatever. He's got like these pieces of concrete. And I'm like, why has he got this concrete garbage in the garden? Because that's that's not, you know, we should have nice natural rocks in here. So I thought maybe, you know, he's trying to make a statement about discriminating about what is beautiful and what isn't. Is that true, Dave? Or are you just lazy and just... The purple flower things that grow wild are beautiful. Also, the concrete is a way to take up space and you don't, then you can't kill it. It's like a part of the garden that you know is like, 
it's set in stone. That was that. Also, we already owned the Antebauer plants for that section. That's kind of what happened. <laughs> okay. A plus plus would listen again. I won't use delightful, but I will say whimsical, a very whimsical talk. And I think what I liked about it is this idea of insentient beings preaching the Dharma and trying to pay attention. But at the same time, if it's all one and that's all those insentient beings are me too, then what am I listening to if not myself? So I think anytime I ever have little weird moments, it tends to be related to the natural world, looking at a rock or a pile of snow or a, a plant and then just thinking, I'm just hanging off the underside of the planet, aren't I? I'm, I'm upside down right now. Or weird little things like that. It's always interesting that it's, it's just the, the natural world and hearing things like that. And I guess I was wondering if you could speak more. I know you were talking about discrimination uh, a moment ago. What is your thought in relation to discriminating yourself from the plant when you're in the garden? How, how do you feel that relationship works for you? Well, that's very complicated because, you know, I can feel those things going on simultaneously because, you know, when you're in there and you're working hands-on, you know, you're obviously, like I said, on some level, you're always thinking about these things, just like picking up the leaves. There are like so many leaves, like, when do I stop? <laughs> You know, so you're thinking about that on some level, but at the same time, you're kind of losing yourself in a way in that kind of repetitive work that is, I always have really liked work practice. I'll just tell you that. And um, that's constantly going on in work practice, I think. You know, it's it's really what it's about as opposed to meditation, because, you know, when you're doing work practice, you have to be involved intellectually at some level. And I don't know why I like work practice so much. I think because I feel like this need to be useful all the time, which is a kind of a delusion because I don't know, it's worrying me But as I get older, because at some point there's like, by nobody's definition, am I going to be useful? So I'm always thinking what's going to happen when that day comes. But anyway, there's always what you were saying. There's always that tension there, losing yourself and, you know, being the agent that's discriminating or making these constant little decisions. There's a poem that I think about a lot by the American poet John Smelter. And it's just this little haiku he wrote. A mountain reflected on a still pond. The mountain had no intention to cast its reflection. The still pond had no desire to receive it. So it's kind of like you were saying, Elena, that like plants are already showing us how to be good meditators because they're, they're already doing it, right? We're always trying to still the mind and whatever. And the plants have already got that figured out. But how do I distinguish like nature from my idea of nature? Because in the bit you read from Dogen, it sounded almost like he was saying like, yeah, yeah, you think you know what nature is. You, you think you know trees. You think you know mountains and ponds and rivers and all that, but you don't really. And so am I really meeting this, this plant or this tree or is it happening in my mind? And I'm just sort of imagining it. And I'm just encountering my own image of the tree or, or plant or whatever it is. And the best that I can come up with is that it's, an, it's like it's something that's happening between me and the tree. It's, it's not just the tree and it's not just in my mind. 
it's a bit of both. And I, I remember there's a, a a biologist or a naturalist named David Fleming who talks about being in the forest and like being deep in the forest for several hours and then encountering different animals that he was observing in a different way. Can, can I discriminate and say that this is just in my mind that I'm encountering this thing? Or am I really encountering it and is it really saying something to me? How would I know? Well, I know the answer to that question, but you know, I don't feel like it's right for me to, you have to figure that out on your own. Wouldn't be right for me to just explain it to you. I think that's the question. That's one of the big deals right there, you know? I don't know. One of the things I would think was, oh, you know, my experiences are more real if they're horrible. <laughs> like if something is, I don't like something, then it's more real because that that's proving to me it's not something I'm creating in my mind. Like, yeah, you can enjoy being in the garden, but can you be en enjoy being in the jungle while tiger is eating you? You know, I mean, then you're in reality. But, you know, I don't know. I also kind of a dark person that is negative. So I could be creating negative things all the time, too. Do you find yourself sometimes, you know, identifying yourself with the plants and working on the plants? Is it sometimes like, you're working on one plant or one leaf, and is it sometimes like you're working on the whole garden? Yeah, that, you know, it definitely would be both because, you know, I was, I was being very mindful. Sometimes I would just sit and like really concentrate on a, a plant, you know, I, well, there was a plant that was on my porch that, that I was ignoring and we planted it and I was like, oh, this is great. And then the plant started not doing so well. <laughs> So I was like, I, you know, I felt bad because I had been ignoring it. And now I was going to do something good for this plant, put it in the Zen center and all the leaves fell off. So I would try to just sit there and, you know, focus on that plant and try to give it good intentions and try to feel whatever it was going through, like a nurse, really, the plant nurse. But other times, you know, I would step back and feel like the whole garden was a thing and you know it became in a way it represented to me i tried to touch a little bit on that like you know this whole enterprise of of zen that you know these ideas we have to take care of them and nurture them just like you would a, a garden that's all also the orchid the orchid tree you're talking about that was losing all its leaves it has stopped losing all of its leaves and i believe it might not die i think it was just unhappy so we'll see Helena, thank you so much for A, everything you do, and B, for a delightful talk. Everyone is right. That was, re that was really nice. We really appreciate it. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Thanks to the Garden for all of its Dharma teachings as well. And I believe you've all heard the money speech a thousand times. It's all still true. Please donate if you can. If you cannot, that's okay, too. That's how the system works. So that's that. And...